Max Quick, Book Two, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. The sequel to Max Quick, Book One, The Pocket and the Pendant, produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on the Max Quick series or this podcast, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. Eight, Tempest in a teepee. Okay, what the hell is going on here? Casey demanded shrilly. They were in Logan's teepee, and it was around noon the day after the hike. Casey and Sasha were both severely sunburnt and dehydrated, and suffered from exhaustion. When they had been half carried into the teepee the previous night, they had been hovering on the knife edge of shock. Logan had slathered their irradiated faces and arms in generous helpings of an aloe mash he had prepared. Then he had given them both cold water to drink, laced with herbs to fight the desert poison lingering in their flesh. Finally, they had been tucked into blanket bundles by the crackling fire to recover from their ordeal. Sasha remembered smoke sometimes blowing in her nose as she slept. The girls had both dreamed vivid red dreams of the desert as their bodies strained to recover. Sasha awoke an hour before Casey, but she hadn't been very talkative. Her face simply hurt too much. She watched, half-broken from underneath the safety of her blanket, as Cody prepared a breakfast of eggs and thick strips of bacon. But as soon as Casey awoke, she had been in a demanding mood. Now, Miss Saranis, calm yourself, Cody began. Don't you tell me to calm myself. We walked for a whole day, and we ended up right back where we started. Why the hell is that? Well, it's just the way it works here. What? That's the way it's always been. You try to leave town, you go out into the desert, and you always end up back here in the jib. It happens to everyone. Doesn't anyone see this as weird? You know, not normal? Of course it is, Cody replied. It's downright spooky. Casey did a double take. And you didn't tell us about this. You didn't think it was worth mentioning. That explained his parochial attitude towards them when they had left. Well, no, Cody said, looking to Logan for help. Do not be angry, Logan said. No one ever believes it. So now, we just don't tell anyone when they first show up in the jeep. We let them find out for themselves, and then we explain it to them. So, explain it to me. Well, if you go out into the desert, you end up back here, I know. I got that part. Now tell me why. Cody shrugged. Logan looked blankly at her. The world here is small, Logan finally said. Oh, well that explains everything, Casey sniped back. Logan just looked at her blankly. Her intuition suddenly jumping, Sasha said, You've tried what we just tried, didn't you? To walk somewhere, away from Arturo Jip. Oh, sure, Cody replied laughing. Tried it a couple days after I got here. I was on my way out to Nevada. I came in from the desert looking for lodging, you know, biting suds. I slept in the Grand. I gambled for a bit at the Lucky 13 and then cheerily waved bye-bye to everyone. They just chuckled when I told them I wouldn't be passing this way again. I couldn't understand why that was funny. And off I went, and just before sundown, here it was again, back in the jib. The town folk were actually waiting up for me, some of them. You know, the preacher, Eldon, Logan here. They knew I'd arrived sunburnt, confused, and exhausted. But they took pity on me. They took me in the heel. I slipped here in this very teepee for a day straight. 
I refused to believe it, of course, that I couldn't leave, that that was the way of it, even when people started telling me there was no way out. I thought what you thought. I got turned around somehow. I made a mistake. So I did what any reasonable person would do. After a day, I tried again. And the very same thing happened. I headed west out of the jip, and by nightfall, I was entering again from the east, as if I had gone around the entire earth in the meantime. Cody shook his head. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't accept it. So I tried a third time. But by now, the citizens of the jip just shook their head at my stubbornness. Now, I was just being ridiculous in their view. But this time, I headed north. Maybe it was something about the west, I figured. If I went north, I might avoid the loop back somehow. Of course, it was no use. I ended up returning from the east again. God, I miss Ian, Sasha said. He would know what this was. He would know exactly what was going on here. What is this place? Some kind of wild west Bermuda triangle, Casey said. She thought for a moment and then turned to Sasha. Could we be in a book? Could this somehow, you know, be something like that? Sasha threw her arms up. Oh, anything is possible. You know that. But this just doesn't sound like it. Cody's story wouldn't make any sense then. He was just walking along in the Old West and he mysteriously ended up here. He didn't find a book. Oh, wait, Cody, did you? Did, did you look at a book or a writing while you were walking? Cody shook his head. Uh, no, ma'am, I was just in the desert, all by myself. This is important, Casey said. You have to be sure. You didn't read any strange writing, maybe on a rock or a cave. Nothing at all. Cody looked at her with a simple aw-shucks honesty that only Cody Chance could pull off. No, Miss Serranus, I'm sure. I saw no writing. Casey blinked. She believed him utterly, which shocked her on some level. Oh, o okay, she managed to mumble. And we walked through an arch, I'm sure of that, Sasha continued to Casey. Well, remember, Jadith got tricked. She thought that she... No, Sasha said, sure of herself. Even that was different. She saw the writing on the wall of the pyramid, just like we did. That was word magic that trapped her. She easily would have been able to figure out what had happened to her after the fact. So if something similar happened to us... We'd be able to figure it out after the fact also. But we can't, because there's no words. We didn't read anything. This isn't a book. This is something else. Yeah, boy, Jadith must have been tweaked, Casey said with a hint of a smile. Oh, yeah, Sasha said, smiling back. I'm sure Philemon got a good ear chewing. But now, they were the trapped ones. Niberians in their own time were trying to kill them. And here, in Arturo Jip, there were maroon Niberians pretending to be cowboys. Did you see that tree of pain? Casey asked Cody. While you were trying to walk out of the jip in the desert, I mean. Or that crashed ship. Oh, the hangman's tree? Couldn't miss that spot of cheer. Cody made a pantomime of a noose pulling on his neck and stuck his tongue out. Sasha laughed, but Casey remained stone-faced. But what about the ship? Casey asked, irritated. Did you see something like, uh... Oh, God, how do you explain a sky chamber to a cowboy? Like a big broken building buried in the ground. Cody looked confused for a second and then said, Oh, yes, yes, I, I think I know what you mean. The Crooked Mansion, folks call that. Sasha almost laughed. That was a great name for it. Although, I have to say, it reminded me more of a pirate ship, Cody continued. A shipwreck, like the desert was the bottom of the ocean and it had sunk down. It was all rickety and the floor was tilted and creaky. Never seen nothing like it. We have, Casey said dangerously. We know what it is. You do? 
It's called the Sky Chamber. It's a kind of ship, but not for the ocean. It's for the stars. For people to travel to other worlds in. Cody looked at her blankly. You're kidding me, right? Nope, honest engine, Casey said, and then realizing her faux pas, she turned to Logan. Oh, sorry, uh, no offense. Logan just smiled and waved the matter away. But there just ain't such things, Cody whispered. There can't be. How can it float in the air? It's too heavy. There are such things where we come from, Casey replied. And they're pretty common, actually. We have airplanes. We've even flown in them a few times. Sash more than me, though. Cody looked helplessly to Logan, who offered no guidance. Look, sky chambers and airplanes are certainly no more impossible than a town you can't leave. So can you please get over it? Casey said flatly. Logan laughed. She has a point, he said to Cody. Anyway, sky chambers like the one crashed in your desert. They're not used by humans. They're used by people from another planet. And these people, lots of them are bad. We've run into them before. But not all of them, Sasha said. Some of them are good. Like our friend Mr. E, the man we're trying to find. Casey sighed. Yeah, and by now, Mr. E could be anywhere. He's three days ahead of us. He could have entered a book and gone back to the Pyramid of the Arches and hotwired a sky chamber four times by now. He could be in any time, any place. We've completely lost his trail. She dwelled on this thought for a second more and then pushed it away. She had other things to worry about now. She resumed her original train of thought. But that crashed sky chamber means some of these bad people are probably still hanging around. Cody looked at her, not comprehending. Look, we didn't see any bodies at the crash site, Casey explained. It looks like everyone survived. Everyone just walked away. And they had to go somewhere. And around here, the only somewhere to go is... Archero Jip, Cody finished, amazed. So... So some of these star people are, are here, you think? In our town? Cody looked a little frightened. Sasha nodded. Well, at first I thought Casey's idea that they'd gotten rescued was the right one. But it's not. That was before we hit the loop back, before we ended up back in the jip. Before we knew that everyone who comes here gets trapped also. So, they couldn't have been rescued. Anyone coming to rescue them would have been stuck in the jip as well. Cody looked at Logan with just a hint of suspicion. The blind Indian must have sensed it, and he started laughing. Don't worry, Cody. I'm not one of them. Cody blinked in apology. Oh, I I'm sorry, Logan. I wasn't thinking. You were. Logan cut him off. But that's okay. Lots of people think lots of things about me. It amuses me to discover what they will think next. So, uh, what do these star people look like? Cody asked. Like regular people, like you and me. You, you met them? Cody asked. Oh yeah, Sasha answered. They were the ones who gave me this. She held up her right hand. The sunbolt, the tattoo, the mark of a Nuberian slave. It looked like a black sun with lightning bolts emanating from it in all directions. They gave you this this brand? Kosi stared in horror. Only cattle were branded. Oh, this wasn't my idea, believe me. You should have heard my parents. But why? Cody asked. Cody asked, genuinely baffled. They come from a planet called Nibiru. It's in our solar system. You know about planets in the solar system, right? Cody nodded dumbly. Well, humans used to be their slaves. A long time ago, back in the ancient world in a place called Sumer. It was the first civilization, even before Egypt. And some of these people from Nibiru think humans should still be their slaves. 
In fact, in our time, a bunch of them came back to Earth and tried to re-enslave the entire planet. They grabbed some of us early, made us slaves while they worked on the rest of the planet. Sasha quailed at the memory. It had been horrifying. The feeling of hopelessness had been so intense. They had been just kids at the time. Later, when she'd seen black and white pictures of children forced to labor 14 hours a day in industrial factories in the 1900s, she instantly recognized the broken, hollow expression in their eyes, the complete and utter lack of happiness, crushing despair so complete that even sunlight and blue sky didn't seem the same. Simple, everyday pleasures lost their potency. Sleep was the only relief. Oh, she knew that feeling. She didn't like to think about it. But Cody and Logan needed to hear this. They had to know what they were dealing with. Especially if there really were Niberians hiding out in Arturo Jip. She forced herself to talk, to open up. I was one of them, Sasha said quietly. When they make you their slave, they put this on you. The sunbolt. It's more than a tattoo. It's a way for them to track you, to know where you are. But to you, it's a reminder that they're always watching you. That's why it's the sun in the sky and you never forget. Her own eyes misted with tears. I've heard stories about star people. I always thought they'd be enlightened-like, Cody said quietly. You know, like angels. Smart, but kind. But now I hear a tale like this. Some are, though, Casey replied. Mr. E, Anki, the man we came here to find. He's one of them also, but a rebel. He's on our side. You said, uh, in our time... There is a question that has been on my mind from the moment I first saw you. Where do you two come from? Logan asked. Casey and Sasha exchanged glances. Well, from the future, Casey said. About 120 years from now, I think, but I'm not exactly sure. What year is this? Cody shrugged. Well, given the circumstances here in the jib, it's hard to say. Things are funny here, as you know. But if you ask me, it's July 1884. Other people here might give a different answer, though. Well, then I'm just about right. 120 years, Casey said. But how did you get here? I'm guessing your story would be different for most of the town folks, Cody said. Why? How did it happen for most people here? Well, just like it did for me. Everyone walked in, or came on horseback, or some even came in a coach. Regardless, they were all on their way somewhere else. Nevada, Arizona, California. But then they were waylaid. The land suddenly changed around them. Things got funny, and they ended up here instead. Cody became wistful suddenly, as if wondering what his life would have been like if he just hadn't made that one wrong turn. Well, we came here through an arch, Casey said. One of the things Anki made was this kind of pyramid. It's filled with portals to other times. Arches. You step through one, and you're in that time. You came through a door in the desert, Logan said matter-of-factly. I have heard of such things. You have? Casey said, surprised. The old tellers speak of it. It was said a white god would sometimes come through it in times of great need. Well, that sure sounds like Anki, Sasha said. Yeah, it does, Casey agreed. And speaking of Anki, the last time we saw him, he was crazy. Something was wrong with him. We don't know what. But he ran through an arch, so Sasha and I followed him. But the arch showed somewhere else, a beach... And usually you go where the arch shows. But somehow... Somehow we ended up here instead, Sasha finished. But Anki found a way out, Casey said. Anki was here in Arturo Jip, and now he's not. He found a way out. 
He knows the secret of leaving. Well, too bad he didn't leave us a note, Sasha replied. And this is the fella you were all chasing after, Cody said. Yeah, Sasha replied. He's good with things like this. We're not really surprised he managed to get out. And you're sure Anki was actually here, Cody said. Oh yeah, Sasha replied. That guy in the Lucky 13, uh, Dalton, he couldn't have made that description up. He knew his name was E. That's what our friend goes by sometimes. Who the heck else uses the letter E for a name? And that on-the-spot penknife surgery? That was definitely something only he could do. Oh, he was here, all right. Cody considered this for a moment. He gave Logan a long stare. Well, we never heard of nobody making it out of the Jeep ever before. He paused and then said, You know, he might not have made it out. You should, uh, you know, consider the possibility that he died out there. Casey actually laughed aloud. No way. Our friend is pretty resourceful and pretty old. So old it would make your head spin. And he didn't live that long just to get killed in some stupid desert. But Sasha wasn't sure. Enki hadn't exactly been himself lately. His noodle had been cooked. He'd been addled, hanging out homeless in the Food Universe parking lot. If he had lost it out in that desert, he would have been roasted alive. Dalton had described Mr. E as arriving sunburnt. The same could have easily happened on the way out. Maybe he'd finally slipped up. It was possible. But she kept her concerns to herself for Casey's sake. Anyway, we didn't see any dead bodies. Well, not Anki's, anyway. It is a big desert, Logan said. I thought you said the world here was small, Casey chided back. Logan shrugged. Small for a world, maybe, but still plenty big for a desert. That evening, Casey, Cody, and Sasha sat outside under the thick starlight of powdered jewels above. Logan Whitecloud, who seemed never to sleep, had finally curled up into a snoring ball by the fire inside. You know, Casey said softly to Cody, in all our anger over finding out we were trapped here in the jip, and at you for not telling us about the loop back, we never bothered to actually thank you. You know, for waiting up for us, for being ready with blankets and water and medicine. For looking out for us. She looked pointedly at Cody. Thanks. Cody smiled and shrugged. A shooting star streaked behind his head like a benediction and then winked out. It's no more or less than what Logan did for me. I was a wreck when I got in from the desert. And a lot less hospitable, believe me. Yet Logan took me in. He put up with my spitting at him and cursing. It took me a while to appreciate him. He's an interesting bird, that Logan, Sasha remarked, looking back at the teepee. He's always watching everything, like he knows a lot more than what he lets on. Oh, you got that right, Cody said with a twinkle in his eye. He's also got that wrinkly puppy thing going on, Casey said, laughing. Cody burst out at that. Yeah, I always thought he looked like a raisin. They all roared. But don't you ever tell him I said that. On the next evening, Casey proclaimed that she felt well enough to go into town. But Sasha yawned and said she was still tired and desert sick and wanted to sleep by the fire. And Logan was asking her endless questions about the events of the pocket. He wanted to understand as much as he could about the Newburians. But Cody seemed bright-eyed and asked Casey if he'd like to join her for a night at the 13. Casey jumped up, excited. But then it occurred to her that they would card her, before it occurred to her that, in fact, they would not. This was the Old West. Nobody cared. She could go to bars here. Well, if we had to get stuck somewhere, at least we had the good sense to get stuck somewhere we could go out, Sasha laughed. Well, since you said yes, I have something for you that you'll need, Cody said cryptically and handed her a box. Casey opened it and screamed. Sasha popped up, curious now about what she had. 
a dress, a real dress, a clean dress. It was long and red and white and black. It was of the times, and the sleeves came all the way down to her wrists, and the bottom covered her ankles. It was a little weird, but it was beautiful. It would be nice to take off her ratty jeans and starland high hoodie and put on this magnificent storybook garment. Suddenly, she was afraid it came with a corset or some other medieval fashion accoutrement. Cody smiled and saw her face sag. What is it? I I don't know how to wear this. We don't have dresses like this in our time. Cody just laughed. Well, I had a feeling, and that's why I got you a room at the Whitby. Sasha, you're welcome to use it also, of course. Mrs. Hawkins works there. I told her you might need some help with the dress, and she'd be happy to oblige. Also, I thought you might want a warm bath and a... A warm bath, Sasha screamed. Are you kidding? I'm first, Sasha said, giving Casey a shove. Cody, I I thought you didn't have any money. I mean, you sleep under the stars. Oh, I sleep under the stars because I like to, not because I have to. I made some money before I came to the jip. Not that money means the same thing here as it does in a regular world. People mostly trade and barter and such. But I have connections at the Whitby. Don't you worry about it. Casey felt giddy. She beamed at Cody. Even his Daniel Boone outfit didn't seem so completely goofy all of a sudden. Here, let me take you both over to the Whitby. And I get to bathe first, Casey said to Sasha. I have a date tonight. Sasha looked at her in mock horror. Oh, and I don't? I've got a date with Logan. They all looked at the old blind Indian, who in turn appeared to look up from tending his fire in mild surprise. You might be disappointed, he finally deadpanned. The Whitby was elegant in a frontier kind of way. The tall, dreaming doors of each room had a handcrafted crosshatch weave trim laid into the squares that informed its angles. Everything was finely crafted from dark, hardy wood, the balustrade, the staircase, and the magnificent front bell desk. As Casey and Sasha excitedly explored the room itself, they discovered a deliciously soft feather bed on top of a slightly squeaky mattress. Snug chairs and tables with oil lamps invited long hours of literary enjoyment or correspondence with some far-off city. The bath was prepared by Mrs. Hawkins, dutifully pouring several bucketfuls of steaming hot water into a tin tub. This is divine, Casey remarked to Sasha as she curled up in suds. And oh, hurry up, Sasha pestered back, dying to get the stink of the desert out of my hair. Casey came down the stairs with a private smile on her face. The red dress with black patterns and white frills at the sleeves had transformed her into an elegant young lady, outfitted for a ball, perhaps. Her considerable mane of wheat-blonde hair was pinned up tastefully. The only things that could possibly have been considered out of place were her sunburn and the black, knee-high boots she wore. But in the western world of Arturo Jip, boots were simply the only choice. Heels weren't an option. She wasn't even sure if they'd been invented yet. Nevertheless, the boots seemed to add something to the outfit, a rock star edge that gave her character. As she approached, Cody turned around, and his face lit up immediately. He was wowed. He didn't say anything, he just stared. Sasha watched from the balcony above, proud of herself. She had been the one who had made Casey up, done her hair, and put her together. Sasha squirmed with internal delight. She'd done a good job. Casey smirked as she remembered her old school tormentors. The look on Cody's face was beyond priceless. Take that, fashion police, she thought. And as for Cody, he had changed out of his frontier wear, his full-body moccasin, as Casey had named it in her mind, and into a tan shirt and white cowboy hat. Silver guns hung on his hips. 
and he wore denim jeans with what looked like diamond studs in the seams. Casey snorted out a laugh and almost stumbled when she saw them. What? Cody said. He looked down at himself. You don't like my clothes? What's with the fancy pants? Cody was genuinely baffled. Well, I thought I'd scrub up for you and wear my lucky jeans. They're ridiculous, Casey said with a teasing laugh. Well, I know that, Cody said seriously. But they're me. Yes, they are you. You look like some 50s singing cowboy nightmare. Cody tilted his head slightly like a dog trying to understand a human. Oh, never mind. You'll find out in 70 years. Are we ready? Cody offered his arm, and they both left the Whitby wearing ridiculous grins. Arturo Jip was alive with bustling traffic in the early evening, and people were noticing this newly minted happy couple. Everyone's staring, Casey whispered with a giggle. I noticed, Cody replied. Do you think they're admiring my jeans? Casey poked him in the ribs. Yes, you are the definitive Mr. Fancy Pants. Well, in any event, I will keep an eye out for your star people, Cody promised. Cody promised solemnly. You never know who here is actually one of them. You do that, Casey replied. Actually, I was just thinking. The way everyone's staring at us. Aren't we a bit too noticeable? Maybe we should be downplaying it a bit. Cody smiled and shrugged. One of the things Logan taught me, the best place to hide, is right in plain sight. Go out of your way to call attention to yourself if you want to be dismissed. Casey nodded appreciatively at this wisdom. Yeah, well, you certainly do a good job of that. But as the faces of Arturo Jip passed with their accompanying stares, Casey couldn't help but wonder, Are you one? Or what about you? Or you? The only one she felt pretty sure about was Blackthorn. And then, before she realized it, they were back in the Lucky Thirteen. The air inside the joint wasn't any better this time around. Whiskey stink and a lazy layer of cigar haze hung perfectly still high up in the air, pocket-like. Eyes switched up from card games and latched onto the two of them, goofy grins and all, and then sank back down, oblivious, and full once again of small fleeting concerns. Eldon greeted them warmly from behind the bar. Cody Chance! Well, good to see you in here again, son. Come on over. Let's have a look at you and your little lady friend. Carson the monkey perched on his shoulder, still dressed in his miniature cowboy outfit. He gave a short howl, a little echo of his master. Casey and Cody edged up to the bar. Suddenly, Eldon recognized Casey. He apparently hadn't realized it was her. Oh my! Don't you look pretty, Miss Casey. Then he peered a little closer at her face, and upon seeing her sunburn, gave a laugh. Ho ho ho! So she knows now, does she? Cody nodded. Oh, she knows. Knows about what? Casey asked. The desert, Cody replied tiredly. The pointless attempt to leave town is now kind of a rite of a passage around here. You're not really one of us until you try it. Perturbations of perambulation, Casey said pointedly to Eldon, repeating his own words back to him. Eldon burst out in laughter. Ha! Don't feel so bad, Miss Casey. Cody here tried it four times. Three, Eldon, Cody said quietly, but with a grin tugging at his mouth. It was only three. Can I have a drink? Casey asked brightly. Uh, not yet. I know you feel better, but the desert poison takes a week to really recover from, Cody said. Casey gave him a mopey face. Now, now, don't start that. I'm not drinking neither. Then he leaned in close and whispered, Besides, we should keep our eyes open, have our wits about us. Remember, 
anyone in here could be one of your star people. Cody was right. She had almost forgotten where she was and why she was here in the first place. She had been getting lost in the dreamy evening. She kicked herself inwardly. She couldn't afford to. Even though she was just enjoying herself, she had to stay on her toes just in case. Casey's eyes wandered around the 13. She had to admit, everyone looked like legitimate cowboys. Murderers, maybe. But Nuberians? No, not a one of them. Nobody looked like they'd be at home strutting around in golden armor. Give us two root beers, please. And we're going to take the table over there. Deck of cards, too, if you will. Cody flipped a silver piece on the table. Eldon obliged, and they were now seated at the far end of the room. Now that everyone had had their eyeful of them, and of Casey in particular, they kept their eyes averted, buried in their games. Probably out of respect for Cody more than her, Casey realized. Several tables held faro games. A dusty piano in the corner stood unused. A crowd clapped and laughed around a game of something like craps in another corner. Do you know any card games? Cody asked her, smiling. Well, not really. War? That's all, she replied. Seeing his blank expression, you know, one, two, three, war? Still nothing. She laughed. <laughs> Never mind. Guess not. Hmm, Cody said, taking a sip of his root beer. Well, we don't have to play anything, Casey said. We can just talk. I'm having a good time already. Do you actually know the people in here? Cody nodded and squeezed her hand. Most I do. Most have met at least once. Who's that? Casey nodded towards a well-dressed man at the craps table. That? That's Morgan Wiley. He was a newspaperman on his way to San Francisco. His coach got caught in some weird storm, he says. Lightning flying all around, killed his driver. The horses galloped wild for miles. The next thing he knows, he steps out of his coach, and he's here. Oh, how about them, up there? Casey nodded at three large women in the gallery above, dressed as dancers. They were hanging over the railing, fanning themselves, bored out of their minds. Oh, them? They're the fat sisters. One of them suddenly caught Casey and Cody looking up at her. She glared back icily, eyes forming two suspicious slits in her big round head. Casey looked away. That's mean, Casey chided. Who's being mean, Cody said simply. They're fat, and they're sisters. Casey shook her head. What about him? Casey nodded to a shadowy man in the corner playing cards. Dirk Fletcher. He was a bounty hunter, but no more. Ah, not much work bounty hunting in the jip, I take it, Casey said with a wry smile. No, it's not that. He just... At that moment, Fletcher jumped down from his chair, and possibly he seemed to have turned into a midget. After a moment, he reappeared from behind the crowd, and Casey saw to her surprise that he had no legs. Dirk Fletcher was lurching across the floor on nothing more than his gloved hands. Lost him, Cody said quietly. Here in the jip. Stagecoach accident. Wow. Casey said, a bit shocked. Like I said, this is a dangerous place. You have to keep your eyes open, even without your star people to worry about. Casey sighed. Her eyes ran over the crowd again. Nobody here strikes me as one of our star people, she said. Is there anyone in town that you can think of who seems a little out of place? You know, someone who doesn't act right? Someone who doesn't know what everyday things are? Cody thought for a moment, and then his eyes lit up. Yes, I do. I believe there is. Actually, I can think of two people here in town that fit that description. Bless my hat. Who? Casey asked excitedly. Well, they go by the names Casey Saranis and Sasha Foy, Cody deadpanned. Villains, both of them. Villains most foul. Casey giggled and poked him in the ribs again. 
He poked her back and they started a tickle war, both laughing uncontrollably. Even Carson the monkey began to pick up on their frantic energy. He started bouncing up and down on the bar, screeching and clapping. The grim, stoic atmosphere of the Thirteen suddenly became brighter, as if a ray of sunlight had sliced through a thunderhead. Everyone seemed to notice it, or at least be affected by it. The sound of laughter in the crowd suddenly became more full of joy, cleaner, less roguish and cruel. Casey looked up and noticed that Morgan Wiley was staring at her with what could only be described as amazement. He ambled over, a perplexed look on his face. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Chance. I am... Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to say hello and introduce myself. I hope you don't take offense. She's spoken for, Wiley, Cody said simply. No, it, it, it ain't like that, Wiley replied quickly. He seemed genuine. Well, how is it then, Cody asked. It's well, well, your girl just isn't like other people here somehow. I just noticed it when she was laughing and, well, I had to come by and see what it is that made her different like. Wiley himself seemed baffled by his own interest in Casey. I'm not even sure why I'm doing this, he said half to himself. Well, I'm Casey, Casey Serranus, Casey said, extending her hand. Wiley shook it and grinned. Wow, <laughs> you know, I feel like we've met before. Deja vu. Wiley said with a twitter of nerves. Casey exchanged a look with Cody. <laughs> I do have a feeling you're an interesting person, Miss Saranis. Such, such an interesting, unique person. Wiley seemed enchanted, mesmerized. He stared at Casey with a single-minded intensity that bordered on being rude. Casey's inner alarm suddenly went off. Wiley is a Newburian. Well, he didn't look like one, that was for sure. He was heavy and somewhat older. From what she'd seen under the time of the pocket, a real Nobarian would never allow body fat to creep up on him like that. She certainly couldn't imagine Wiley squeezing into Golden Centurion armor. She almost laughed at the image. He'd need a shoehorn to shovel himself into one of those suits. And Nubarians were nearly immortal. But this man had aged into his fifties. His body had begun its genetic decay. It just didn't fit. But his appearance could be some kind of a ruse. Or maybe it wasn't his choice. Maybe Nubarians aged differently in the Jip for some reason or didn't have access to their life-extending food, the plant of life, and thus started to age like humans after a while. She decided to quiz him to see what she could learn. Well, Cody was actually just telling me the story of your arrival here in the Jip, Casey said brightly. People love to talk about themselves, even Newberians. He said your stagecoach got caught in a storm. Wiley seemed to puff up at that. Being given a spotlight from Casey seemed to expand him. Why, <laughs> that is true. A storm was fierce, savage. We'd set out on our way to San Francisco, and we... Excuse me, Casey said. I was wondering, where did you set out from? Oh, well, we were in... San, uh, San something. Santa. Santa Fe? Or No, 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 it was Santos. Santos. Wiley looked away, embarrassed and perplexed at why he couldn't recall. Casey's eyebrows went up. What, you don't remember? Was he faking this? trying to keep from having to lie, to make up details you couldn't possibly know? Someone from Nibiru would have no ideas what the names of Earth cities were. Oh, he might have picked up a few here and there, chatting the others up in the jip, but there were still lots of ways he could be caught in a lie. Wiley looked startled by the question. He pulled a handkerchief out of his breast pocket and wiped the sweat from his forehead. Well, the stress of things lately. You know, having your whole life ripped away from you by this accursed place. But you must remember where you came from, Casey said. Even if you forgot everything else, I would think at least you remember your own name and where you came from. Now Casey was more than suspicious. Come on, you little worm. Wriggle for me. 
Wiley's mouth opened as if he desperately wanted to tell her, but just could not get the words out of his mouth. His chin muscles quaked and strained. I, I, I can't seem to. I, oh dear me, your forgiveness, I... Then Casey had an inspiration. She had an Amphalus bracelet with her. It was a Nuberian artifact. It was likely to be recognized by any Nuberian. They might not know exactly what it was, but the styling of it and the Omphalus gem at its core would be instantly spotted. She pulled it from her handbag and slipped it on while Wiley squirmed. Then casually, she brushed a hair strand away from her ear, using the arm with the bracelet. Wiley's eyes went wide when he glimpsed the Omphalos. An unmistakable covetousness gleam had crept into his gaze. Bingo, Casey thought. You're one. Ah, I say, that's a beautiful bracelet, Miss Casey, Wiley said, eyes locked on it. An extraordinary bracelet. One of a kind, yes, it's one of a kind for sure. Where ever did you get it? Oh, this? She looked at her bracelet casually as if it were a cheap trinket. Um, it was a while ago. I, I think Baby Doll? No, wait, wait, it wasn't there. Could it have been... Hmm. She feigned bafflement. You know, I don't remember, she said pointedly, looking Wiley straight in the eye. Cody shifted uncomfortably. Wiley's eyes continued to focus on the bracelet as if it were the most amazing object in the entire universe. You do uh, <laughs> know what gem that is, Wiley said softly. It is a miraculous stone. A most miraculous stone. A miracle that only a man like me could understand, could appreciate. It doesn't come from these parts. Oh no, I should say not at all. Casey raised her eyebrows. Really? Didn't know that, she replied, yawning. Let me ask you something. Would, would you be willing to sell it? Wiley said abruptly, already reaching into his pocket for money. Such an interesting bracelet, from such an interesting person. Ah, yes, perhaps indeed the most interesting person that has ever lived. Wiley's jowls were quaking now, his fleshy desire strained to the breaking point. His fingers dug madly into his pockets for fistfuls of cash. No, Casey said casually. I, I don't think I would sell it. Wiley's eyes snapped up at her. They were bloated with rage and tears, as if she had just stolen something precious from him. His entire body quaked. You would have thought Casey had just ripped his only child from him. And Casey thought to herself, could the bracelet be the key to making an escape from the jip? Maybe that's why Wiley wants it so badly. Maybe he needs the Amphalos for something. I, I, I could make it worth your while. Money's no object, Miss Casey. My price would be high. High enough that you could live comfortably for the rest of your life. Wiley was emptying his pockets of colorful currency. An embarrassingly thick stack lay now in front of Casey. I just, I simply must have that bracelet. Wiley whispered intensely. Casey looked at him long and hard. Well, I just remembered where I got it from. His eyes went wide at that. My uncle gave it to me. It has sentimental value. Now, I, I don't think I could part with it for any price. Wiley was like a wild thing, desperately trying to keep himself still. He shook like an addict. Sweat poured down his face. His teeth gnashed and ground behind his lips. Then Casey dropped the bomb on him. That's right. It was given to me by my dear, dear old uncle Anki, she said wistfully. Wiley's eyes popped wide at the name. She could almost hear him thinking it. The Great Betrayer. It was too much for him. Wiley couldn't take any more. Savagely, he sprang, 
viciously clutching for the bracelet, the fat of his belly slapping noisily against the table as he did so. But Casey was ready for something like this. She slid her chair quickly away from the table, easily evading his groping, pudgy digits. And Cody's sparkling silver gun was in Wiley's face, even before he landed. I think we've been more than courteous here, Wiley, Cody said. He rose quickly and kicked his chair back into the wall behind him. It bounced mindlessly across the floor and threw a jolt of adrenaline into everyone in the 13. The place went pin-drop silent. Hands hovered nervously over holsters as men tried to figure out what the commotion was. And now, I figure you've had a mite to drink, and to be frank, now you're being downright rude to my gal. Wiley looked at Cody's gun in frozen panic, as if wondering how in the heck he had gotten into this predicament in the first place. He lay motionless for a moment, a prone hippopotamus in a suit. <laughs> Your pardon, Wiley offered quietly. He moved extra slow to show he meant no harm, and slid back off the table. He stood slowly, being very careful not to make any provocative movements whatsoever. Cody kept a silver gun trained on his heart. In a way, Cody looked even more ridiculous than ever at this particular moment. His disco diamond-studded jeans sparkled obnoxiously, as did his high-ho silver six-shooters. Yet his blazing blue unblinking eyes, set into his two-tanned face, had never looked more serious or dangerous. The contrast was almost comical. In another place, Casey might have laughed. But Wiley certainly wasn't laughing, nor was he going to fool with Cody Chance. <laughs> it's like you said. Wiley groaned with a weak grin. I had too much to drink. I got a little overeager. Damn suds got the better of me. I'm such an idiot sometimes. He coughed nervously and straightened his three-piece suit. My, my apologies, Miss Casey. I think it's best. I think I should turn in, Wiley mumbled. With that, he turned and stumbled out the door. As soon as Wiley was gone, Cody's mood changed entirely. A friendly smile appeared on his face. He spun his gun and slid it back into his holster. The noise in the 13 shifted back to normal as everyone returned to drinking and games. Cody retrieved his chair and sat down next to Casey. Well, Cody said, I wonder if he'll write about that in his newspaper. Casey laughed. Thanks. I didn't think he'd quite do something like that. But you were trying to provoke him, Cody said quietly, to see if he was one of your star people. Casey nodded mischievously. Yeah, and he is one. Cody looked doubtfully at the door where Wiley had just left and then back to Casey. You really think so? Casey nodded vigorously. Oh, definitely. This is a Nuberian bracelet. It has special properties, and Wiley's eyes lit right up when he saw it. He knew what it was. And when I mentioned Anki, well, he just about burst open. But Cody didn't look convinced. He just couldn't seem to stomach that such normal-looking people could be star people. Casey, you know I respect what you think. But I just don't know if I agree. Wiley was just drunk and acting like a fool, that's all. That's okay, Casey smiled. If I hadn't seen what I've seen, I probably wouldn't believe it either. Just keep it in mind, in case it becomes more relevant later. I will, Cody promised, squeezing her hand. One of the fat sisters sat down at the keyboard. She plinked the dusty keys and the carnival sound of a slightly out-of-tune piano filled the air. The other sisters had drifted down the stairs and were now flirting and dancing with some of the drunken cowboys. Cody, let's dance, Casey said, smiling. Cody's eyes shot up comically. Then he rose and took her hand. Ma'am, he said. His body posture had become completely different. This was something he had clearly done before. 
but Casey wasn't at all prepared for what came next. Cody grabbed her by the waist and the left hand and started twirling her around the room, doing a kind of fast hee-haw square dance. Casey strained to keep up, spinning and stepping, laughing and twirling. Cody wore a big, goofy, howdy-do grin on his face as he fiddled with his feet. Why, he was a regular country-and-western dancing machine. Casey would have never guessed he'd had this in him. He even had distinct subtle moves, like this little shrugging dip he did with his head as he danced, that seemed so quintessentially and perfectly country. Everyone in the place was clapping now and watching Cody spin around the room with Casey. Even they were amazed by his performance. Why, he's a hick maestro, Casey thought, laughing to herself. Laughter spread around the room, and the clapping got louder. Whoops and hollers were suddenly everywhere. Boots stomping in rhythm to the piano made the floorboards thunder. Dust puffed up with every beat. This impromptu hoedown was shaking the Lucky Thirteen to its core. Even Dirk Fletcher, the legless bounty hunter, was pounding the wood with his hands, smiling and cackling. Casey and Cody's uproarious laughter seemed to have spread and infected the entire bar. Casey noticed vaguely that the song being played on the piano sounded an awful lot like a Planet Furious song. Something off the Furioso Virtuoso album, she mused. A sort of honky-tonk version of one of the harder rocking tunes. Meanwhile, Cody the Disco Machine was now holding Casey's hand while doing some kind of fancy solo country tap dance. His denim diamonds sparkled as if the very stars were dancing with him. Abruptly, he finished and grabbed Casey, and they started doing the same square dance tango thing again. Then he spun her around several times before dipping her backwards. He tilted his white hat back with his free hand. Ma'am, he said with a twang, and then leaned forward to kiss her. The bar went wild. But just then, a shot of whiskey set on top of the piano spontaneously exploded. Hands flew up as glass shards and particles rattled the air. A pile of startled fingers on the keyboard made a sound as abrupt and discordant as a needle pulled across a record. Everyone froze, silent. A shot had been fired. Blackthorn stood in the doorway, his gold-wreathed black irons smoking a ghostly wisp of blue vapor. He held his gun with one hand, while, weirdly, the other clutched his heart. There was a stain underneath it on his black shirt, as if he had just been shot or injured there. Blackthorn was holding a cloth, trying to stem the bleeding in as dignified a manner as possible. He replaced the gun in its holster. You, Blackthorn said, pointing a craggy finger at Casey. It's our time we had a talk. Just you and me. Panic zinged through Casey's belly. Cody opened his mouth to protest, but three guns were already pointed at his head. Deputies. They had snuck into the crowd while Cody had been distracted by dancing with Casey. Don't, Blackthorn warned him, watching Cody's eyes flick around assessing his situation. We've got the drop on you, and they have orders to shoot you if you so much as breathe funny. Morgan Wiley suddenly appeared out of the shadows behind Blackthorn, slinking into view with a cowardly slither. Wiley... Cody hissed. You snake! I thought you was turning in. You know, the sheriff has a right to know what goes down in this town, Wiley proclaimed. He needs to know if he's going to protect and such and do his job. But the safety of everyone in the jip comes before everything else. I did what any good citizen of the jip would do. I told him what you and your heathen engine friend didn't seem fit to tell him. I told him about your new friends. You, Blackthorn snapped to Casey. Let's go for a walk. Cody looked about to jump and Casey could feel it. And even he had no chance. Cody, Casey said pointedly. 
No. Relax. There's nothing you can do. She looked sideways at Blackthorn and winked to Cody. I'll be okay. She turned and prayed that Cody would stay calm. They were almost certain to shoot him if he didn't. And already she didn't think she could bear that. Blackthorn's steel eyes fell on her like the beating of vulture wings. Let's go, Casey said to him. He stood aside. After you, he said, gesturing. Casey stepped outside through the creaky batwing doors of the Lucky Thirteen, and Blackthorn followed. Casey felt tiny next to the tall, imposing Blackthorn, who strolled gauntly beside her now in the night air, his long black dust coat snapping in the desert breeze. It was just the two of them, and their steps matched one another perfectly, mechanically. No one else seemed to be present on the streets of Arturo Jip. A few sparse lanterns in the star-choked sky above lit their way, two silhouettes, one huge and the other small. When they were out of the earshot of the Lucky Thirteen, Blackthorn said quietly without preamble, Where do you come from? A small town in California. It's called Starland. Blackthorn looked down at her suspiciously. Are you sure about that? Casey nodded. Yes. Why? Where are you from? Blackthorn eyed her distastefully. Then he offered with a wry expression, I don't remember. Funny, that's the second time I've heard that tonight, Casey said. I saw you when you showed up, Blackthorn said, ignoring her. You were dressed funny then. Strange clothes. Casey shrugged. Where I come from, they're common enough. Everybody's wearing them. She waited a beat and then said, I'm actually surprised you even noticed. You were busy at the time, if I recall. I'm killing someone. The blacksmith. What was his crime? Blackthorn eyed her. He challenged me. He drew first. He knew the rules. And he died. But why did he want to shoot you? Casey persisted. It took a long moment for Blackthorn to answer. Evidently, he wasn't used to anyone asking him questions, let alone challenging questions. I'm the sheriff, Blackthorn finally replied. Everyone's safety and security is my responsibility. And that requires certain sacrifices. They're personal liberties. There are rules. The blacksmith couldn't live by those rules. Are you sure you're not from somewhere else? Further away, maybe? Casey laughed inwardly. So that was it. Blackthorn thought she might be a Nibirian. Well, it wasn't entirely unreasonable, given the circumstances. But let him think it, Casey thought silently. Better than him knowing we're from the future. No, I am from Sarland, she replied. Blackthorn looked quizzically at her, as if he somehow knew she was telling the truth, yet still discerned that there was more here than met the eye. Where were you headed when you ended up in the jip? Blackthorn asked. We were trying to find a friend of ours. He came this way, towards the jip. We were following him, Casey replied. Is he here? Blackthorn asked. No. How could that be? Everyone always ends up back in the jip. Saw you yourself go out to the desert a few days back. I know you know that. He was here. Now he's not. I don't know any more than that. That's just not possible, Blackthorn stated flatly. Nevertheless, Casey replied. Blackthorn coughed. It was a deep, respiratory, gargling cough. His hand still clutched a cloth over his heart. Had he been shot? Were his lungs filling with blood? Are you hurt? Casey ventured, looking at his blood-stained cloth. No, Blackthorn hissed dangerously. I don't get hurt. 
Casey looked up into his eyes for the first time directly. Come on, her look said. Be serious. Wiley tells me you have something interesting, Blackthorn said. A bracelet that I should see. Casey started to feel even smaller. But what could she do? She was wearing it. She couldn't exactly hide it. She raised her arm wordlessly. Blackthorn looked surprised, as if he had expected her to take it off and hand it to him for inspection. Keeping it on had apparently been a brazen thing to do. Blackthorn's eyes narrowed as he inspected the bracelet. He betrayed no emotion. He was back in his lizard mode again. I should like to handle it, Blackthorn said offhandedly. Please take it off for me. Ha! You're a Newberian and you want to swipe the Umphalos, Casey thought to herself. No, Casey snapped without hesitation. This is a personal item. I don't submit it to inspections. Blackthorn's eyes narrowed. I am the sheriff of Arturo Jip, Blackthorn said dangerously. And this is one of those rules I was talking about, where what you would prefer needs to give way to what I require from you, in the interest of public safety. He held out his hand. By all the red hells, you will take off that bracelet. Casey faced him squarely. Her legs shook. She was badly frightened. Fear radiated from her. Nevertheless, she was not going to give it to him. No, Casey repeated. I never agreed to your rules. I told you, I don't remove this bracelet. Not ever. Nobody touches it except for me. Blackthorn's eyes went wide. He was certainly not used to defiance of this sort, if any at all. He stared at her for a long moment, and then he snapped. With a snarl, Blackthorn grabbed Casey by the throat and closed his hand. Casey choked, gasped for air. She felt her belly flood with fear and the zing of copper in her mouth. You will remove the bracelet. You will... But two odd things happened at once. The first was that as Blackthorn throttled Casey, the wound in his sternum suddenly seemed to get better. She saw his hunched form visibly straighten. He had been crouching down around his pain, but now he stood a little taller. A shadow of surprise crossed his face. He pulled his hand away and looked down at his chest in amazement. It wasn't bleeding anymore. And the second was, try as he might, he just couldn't seem to take the bracelet from Casey's wrist. He snatched at it, and he would get his fingers around it, but he just couldn't slip it off. It was like some invisible force was holding it there in place. Casey was starting to see stars. Blackthorn's hand tightened ever more savagely. She thought he might crush her larynx. Already she wasn't getting enough oxygen, and her body had been weakened by the desert. In the main street of Arturo Jip, the long, menacing cloak silhouette of the tall sheriff brutally leaned over the shadow of a young woman who now frantically gasped and fought for breath. But then the crisis broke. Blackthorn let go and weirdly stumbled backwards as if someone had been choking him this entire time as well. Both Casey and Blackthorn fell to the ground, away from one another. The two of them gasped for breath and inhaled deeply, trying to cram as much oxygen as possible into their lungs. For several minutes, they both lay in the dirt and panted wildly. Finally, Casey got to her feet. Her eyes for Blackthorn now were two stabs of hate. She hated him. He had violated her with this one act. She had feared for her life. She hated him. Her hate had now blossomed full and whole and potent in the space of a few short minutes. She hated him. And the more she hated him, the more alive he looked, like he enjoyed it. In disgust, she turned away and walked back to the jip. Blackthorn drew his gun and aimed it at her back, fully meaning to fire. 
to put this insolent brat down right here, right now. For her part, Casey fully expected a bullet in the back from Blackthorn at any second. But as she walked in through the batwing doors of the 13, she realized there was no bullet in her. Cody looked up when she appeared. Then he spotted the redness on her neck from where Blackthorn had manhandled her. She shook her head. No, you will be calm, she thought at him. Let's go home, Cody, she said, eyeing the deputies. The deputies had been watching the door for Blackthorn's entrance. They were completely perplexed when this young woman returned, but the sheriff didn't. Lacking guidance, the deputies looked to one another for a moment as if they were telepathically communing. Then they simply put their guns away and let Cody go. The trio headed out the door to see what had become of their sheriff. Are you okay? Cody asked her. I'm fine, Casey replied quietly. I just want to get out of here. You've been listening to Max Quick, Book 2, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on this patio book, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. The print version of both The Pocket and the Pendant, Max Quick Book 1, and The Two Travelers, Max Quick Book 2, are available at lulu.com in paperback format, PDF format, and hardcover. <laughs>